Well, good evening, my beautiful In the Dark listeners. Hey, I want to tell you guys, I really appreciate you. I don't know. I mean, I don't really express that enough, but I just want to tell you guys, I really, really, you know, it, I'm just so happy that the channel's growing like every day consistently. There's like, honestly, like there is not five minutes that goes by that I don't get on and maybe three more people have listened either through the podcast stations or, you know, even on YouTube, it's growing, you know, fairly, it's slow, but it's, it's growing. It's, it's really, it's neat. It's, it's just a really cool thing to watch. And just the comments and the, the emails I get and people finding me on Facebook and, you know, just stuff like that. It's, it's really neat guys. I, I just really appreciate you guys so much. And I wanted to thank you for being part of this and, helping for the channel to grow and, you know, hoping you guys share it with people and that type of stuff. But it's it's just really, really cool. Um, tonight I actually have a recording for you. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but I told you that I was going to take you on the same journey that I was taken on by the Lord. And this is some mind-blowing stuff. There's a man named John Todd, or a, his real name was Lance Collins, that he came from the second most important family in the Illuminati or the occult world. Um, his family actually came over um, from Scotland, and they were actually the first witches. That from he came from a complete family of witchcraft, and um, he's he's just incredible. He he was he he was the last of the male Collins in his line, and he was saved. He became a Christian, and this is, you know, a lot of this is. There's, there's more to him too that I might found, I might find down the road, but this pretty much sums it all up. So, um, I thought you guys would. I, I think it's really important that you hear this, and I really hope you enjoy this. And please listen. I mean, I know it's some of these recordings are older, and the quality is poor. I mean, I mean, I can't. You know, I, I just, I don't have the time to sit around and, you know, mix everything and do all that stuff that people like to do for making their podcast just so. I'm just, you know, mine's more of a rough type of deal where I just kind of just do what I can here and, you know, I'm just, I'm here to share information and get the word out and that's what this is for. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Here we go. I can only make you one promise that what I've got to say is the truth. It won't seem that way to some of you. It will just seem that I'm either crazy or I'm the biggest liar and, and storyteller in the world. That's what our televisions have done to us. They've gotten us to a frame of mind that we do not realize the real world around us. When I talk in many youth rallies, many of the Christian schools, I start right out by tearing their television and rock idols down by personal experiences that I've had with them in the occult world. And then from there, we try to build them up with real heroes, the number one being Jesus Christ. But uh, I come from a family that, where I grew up having my own heroes. My number one hero was my great, 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 somewhere way back there, grandfather, named Francis Collins. Francis Collins owned the first ship that the Puritans landed in here. It just so happened that 50% of the people on board were also witchcraft people fleeing from Scotland. They were called the Collinses. They were all his family. And that's how all witchcraft came to the United States. So when I grew up, I was being trained how great my family was, that it was the second most important family in the Illuminati and the occult world, and that someday I'd be very important and so on. So I had my own heroes. And television didn't help much. The reason I'm so down on television is I grew up around the television world, on the insides of it. 
when I was just a teenager. Hollywood paid for my way out to California so that I could bring a couple of diaries that uh, belonged to my family that I inherited by will as the last male heir of the Collins family. If you wonder why that fits with Todd's, the Collins family changed their name about 100 years ago to Todd to cover up some of the things that they had done. But I'm sure some of you will remember the show Dark Shadows. That was the show that paid for me to come to Hollywood to bring the diaries. Many of the scripts were taken from actual instances in the diaries. And, for instance, Barnabas Collins was based upon a man named Prince Williams Collins, a Revolutionary War hero. When I was growing up in the occult world, we were always taught that we had been somebody else before. It wasn't good enough that we were the person we were now. We always had to be a dozen people that we were before. We had to deal with this life and all the ones we were supposed to have had before and all the ones we were going to have in the future. And I was supposed to be in France Williams Collins. I said that's who they based Barnabas on, so I wasn't exactly the nicest guy in the world. I grew up this way when I was 13. I was taken into what is called the outer court to be trained as a priest in witchcraft. That had been like your pastor who just stepped off, or better yet, more like the youth director or something. When I was 18, I was initiated a high priest. That would have made me the pastor. The same time, I became draft exempt. I did not have to go into service. But a bunch of us smart aleck, young, I have to correct the pastor, not warlocks, but wizards and witches, went into the army because we felt the army really needed witchcraft. It just couldn't get along without us. And since the army didn't think that they needed any chaplains that were witches, we just kind of went in on our own. So I went on in, along with a lot of others, and I never did anything, I guess, halfway. I got in Vietnam, found out I liked Vietnam so well, I was willing to re-enlist. In fact, I already signed the papers to stay for another tour in Vietnam. I became wounded in the last month of the first tour, and I was shipped back to the United States. My time was almost up, so I was discharged, and the same day I re-enlisted. I asked for Vietnam, and they said because of my wounds that hadn't totally healed yet, I couldn't go to Vietnam yet, so I got Germany. And I had re-enlisted for six years. And until the time of my re-enlistment, I always thought that witchcraft was just witchcraft. There was nothing more to witchcraft than just casting spells and that we were smarter than the Christians and other religions because we really knew who the gods were and we were born with spatial powers because our ancestors had passed them down to us and all the little stories they liked to tell us. Witchcraft was a little different at that time when I first got into it as a young person. You had to be from a family that had generations after generations of witchcraft. In order to be a Coven member at the time, you had to have three generations at least. While the minimum that I had that we could find was seven, so there wasn't any problem, and we knew it went past that where there weren't records kept anymore. But uh, that was all witchcraft was. As I tell many people, when you know many of you were raised as Christians, and I guess that's why I can't understand why some of the Christian teenagers are the way they are today if they were raised in this glorious gospel, why they're so rebellious. I would have given anything to have been raised this way. But uh, when you were learning the 23rd Psalm, I was learning the witches' chant. When you were reading about Moses opening the Red Sea, I was reading J.R.R. Tolkien. When you guys were re- uh, learning uh, different memory verses and so on, and the four spiritual laws and the Ten Commandments, I was happy to read C.S. Lewis. Of course, I've been greatly surprised that Christians read that too. But uh, this is the way I grew up, and this is all I believed in was just that there were mighty gods and we were special people. We were their priests and priestesses until I re-enlisted. I went to Germany, spent a month home, went to Germany, spent another month, two months 
out of a six-year enlistment. One night while taking drugs and drinking, I shot killed an officer in downtown Stugart. Now, if there's one thing that the Army does not like, it does not like its sergeants killing its officers. They have a quick cure for that. They threw me in solitary confinement. And as the court-martial proceeded on, and things began to look like I was going to spend the rest of my life in Leavenworth if I was lucky, all of a sudden a riot took place in the stockade, and although I was in solitary confinement, other place, people were placed in the cell with me. One of the men that was placed in the cell with me had been scheduled to get out that particular day and was held because of the riot. So I kind of talked him in by bribing him a little that uh, if he made a long-distance phone call for me and told certain relatives of mine that I was in trouble, he'd receive some money for it, and I'd be a lot happier. So he called, collect to Los Angeles, and talked to my foster mother, explained what the situation was. And I was sitting back waiting for her to get all these big witches together to cast spells on the judges and make all the officers that were trying me think I was a real nice guy and that it was self-defense and everything was going to be fine. They just let me off. Now, that's all that I had ever been taught that witches could do. But three days later, my cell door opened there in solitary. I, I stepped out in the light for the first time in 32 days. I heard some very strange words. You are honorably discharged from the United States Army. And the man that was saying them was a senator by the name of William Saxby. He had a congressman with him named Wiley and about three or four generals. And they were handing me an honorable discharge. And on the discharge papers, it didn't say I was bad. It didn't say that I had been in jail. It didn't say anything. It gave me all my time and rank, security clearances that I had in my possession. It didn't explain why I still had over five years to go in the United States Army. It just discharged me honorably. So I took it and didn't want to argue with them and left and went back to the States and arrived at my home in Columbus, Ohio. I asked my real mother, I have two mothers, foster mother and a real mother. I said, what type of spell is so good that it makes senators and generals do what you want? And it's a really good spell. I like to learn it. She just looked at me and said, you just don't understand, do you? She said, they're, that what, we didn't cast a spell on them. They're with us. I said, oh, far out. Senators that are witches. She says, no, they just belong to us. I didn't understand what she was saying, and I said, well, what am I supposed to do now? You know, I'd like to take my old coven back over and so on. So she handed me an envelope that had been waiting there. She had explained that there was one there and one in Los Angeles. They didn't quite know where I was going to show up. I opened the envelope. Very intriguing thing. $2,000 in $100 bills. A lot of money. Also was a one-way plane ticket to New York City. I said, well, what's this for? She said, well, you make a reservation. You get on the next plane. You get out of here and you get to New York City and they'll meet you at the airport. I said, well, who are they? And where did this money come from? She says, you get there and they'll tell you and you'll know who's supposed to meet you when you get there. Now, witches are very curious people. That's why when we do some of the most demonic rites imaginable and our hair would stand on end and almost turn snow white overnight from all the spooky things, we couldn't wait to get back in there. We were always curious what was going to happen the next. I think that's why some of the people get on roller coasters and like to be scared to death. It's just the way with the witches. They really spooky things going on. And they can't wait to get back. And this was extremely intriguing. So I got on the plane and I flew to New York. I got off the plane. Sure enough, no problem with recognizing who met me. I'd read his books for years. In fact, he's the man who first created Christian witchcraft. His name was Dr. Raymond Buckland, head of the anthropology department, Columbia University. At that time, he isn't now. Graduate of Oxford University, Rhodes Scholar, handpicked by the Rothschilds to lead the Illuminati form. 
So I arrived, and he took me to his house, and the next few months he carefully rearranged all my ideas for me. He told me that all the things that I had learned about witchcraft were just stories that we told the lower people. And where I thought there was only three levels and I was as high and as powerful as a witch could go, he assured me there were three more. I guess I should have backed off then and figured if I was lied to the first time, maybe I'd be lied to the second time. But as I said, witches have an incurable curiosity. They've got to find out everything. So I let him train me. He explained to me that since I was a male Collins, I was in the Collins family, that I had a position to take. And that there was a board of directors called the Grand Druid Council, which contained 13 of the most powerful witches in the world. And that my place was on that council. And I said, oh, you know, great. When do I take it? And he said, well, somebody just died. I kind of always wondered if he died or they shot him or something. You never can tell in the Illuminati. But uh, he sent me to Los Angeles. I studied for six more months with my foster mother, holding kind of a temporary rank on this council, and then taking up to Colorado Springs and initiated. And I do believe that when I testified here the last time, I explained who the person was that handed me the ceremonial night for that ceremony, another senator named George McGovern. You might, before the night gets over, start to realize that Washington isn't bad as you thought it was. It's worse. But uh, the ceremony, by the way, was human sacrifice. And the leader of that ceremony that night was George McGovern. That's why when we did the broken cross, we drew his picture into the broken cross as a person practicing human sacrifice. But after the ceremony, I went down to San Antonio decided that would be the perfect place. And I moved into San Antonio to watch all the drug traffic in the area, and I was given a 13-state area. That totaled out to about 65,000 initiated witches and wizards, priests and priestesses. Now, that's just the staff of the church. That's not the congregation. So if there's that many ministers in that area, you can imagine what the population is. In California, whereas most of the Grand Druids have many states like I did, I had 13, California has a grand druid all to itself because there's that many witches in California. In fact, it's the most populated area in the world for witchcraft. And uh, the Bay Area just happens to have the most. But anyway, this is where I lived. I only left it eight times a year to attend what we called council meetings. Now, to give you an idea, Monday was one of those council meetings. They hold them eight times a year. May 1st, they held a council meeting. And from our information, they held it in San Francisco. So you were kind of close to it this time. Things went along fine. I enjoyed the money par. I always thought they were kind of weird because they kept talking about controlling the world. And I thought, let's stay back with witchcraft, you know, this, this world government thing. You know, they're a little weird. Witches are never going to control the world. And finally, on August the 1st, 1972, things changed. Courier from the London Embassy, a member of our United States State Department, arrived with a courier document pouch sealed with the crest of the State Department, brought it through customs, unopened, nobody could touch it, brought it in to San Antonio, and I was hosting the meeting this time. It was on Latimus, August the 1st. The man came in, laid the pouch down in the temple room up in the casino building, walked out and left it. He wasn't to know what was in it. The door was locked, security guards were placed on the outside, and Dr. Buckland took up what's called the Atomates, the witches' ceremonial night. 
He slid open the seal, unlocked everything, and took out six letters. We'd seen letters like this before, no big deal. He had the press of the Illuminati, which is on the back of your $1 bill, so you can look at it later. On them, sealed in wax, red wax. The only problem was that the first four were standard business. They only contained checks, you know, like, you know, bribe checks and so on. Usually bribe checks started about $500,000 to give you kind of an idea and work up into the millions. But then they've got almost all the money in the world. Why should they worry? You spend a $5 bill and you panic. For what a $5 bill feels like to you, a million dollars feels like to them. So believe me, they've got the financial strength to do it. The fifth one was totally different. It's very thick, about 30 pages, and it was handwritten. Now, according to the laws of witchcraft, if anything is religious, it must be written in a spatial ink with a dip pen, and the person who's writing it own handwriting. Nobody, you know, you don't dictate it. It doesn't get typed up. Nobody writes it for you. Now, on the Illuminati, the Rothschilds are not humans. They're not the, just the richest family in the world. They are gods in human bodies. More, more or less the counterfeit of what Jesus Christ was when he was on the earth. They're the sons and daughters of Lucifer in human body and his wife and so on. So that this council that I was on is the private priesthood of those gods. And when those gods talk, the priests listen and the priestesses listen. Then they tell political people. That's why a handful of witches have so much power over so many political people. Because they're simply just like a tape recorder for some very powerful people that everybody else considers to be holy and to be gods. So we opened this one in Philip Rothschild's handwriting, and it would have been the same to what well, it was like, you know, the gods sent their own private message. So we opened it up. Dr. Buckland started reading it. It's a chart. A friend of mine, Dr. Tom Mary, has placed that chart in a 30-page book. And we're proofing it now, and Dr. Stuart Crane is going to publish it, and we hope to have it in Christian's hands in about three months. It's a step-by-step -step plan beginning in 1973, at the first of the year, to the end of 1980, to take over the world by taking over the United States. And before you think that that's impossible, I've watched the news over the past five and a half years, and they're not only on schedule, they're a year ahead of schedule. And when I told people this five years ago, they thought I was crazy, like a lot of people think now. When I told them that we were supposedly not going to have any fuel, although we were going to have it, and that the gasoline prices were going to go sky high, I even told them a crazy story that the farmers were going to go on strike and the coal mines were going to close down. Now, I wonder where I could have gotten a crazy idea like that. And I was saying it five years ago. Only when I went on the East Coast this time, Nobody was laughing because they were getting cut back on electricity and people were only working 20 hours a week because there wasn't any hope. So after reading this, I thought, hmm, these people are really crazy. You know, crazier and crazier. But I stopped laughing when I read the sixth letter. It was in Philip Rothschild's handwriting too. Now before I tell you what's in it, I want to say something. The Mormon doctrine and the witchcraft doctrine are almost identical in how the world began. According to the witches, Lucifer chose his son and his daughter, which were married, to come to the world and lead the rest of his little kids down here. Believe it or not, you're supposed to have landed in a flying saucer. And they landed here, and man was just more or less assuming their shape from apes. 
and they intermarried with man, and that's how, well, the original people were the witches that arrived, and their children became the witches, and the ones that they didn't marry with are the mortals. If you remember Bewitched, you remember the doctrine of, of witches and mortals. Now, that may seem a little crazy to you, but they firmly believe it, and that Adam, who had the ability to turn back into other lives again, like everybody else did, did not. Because when the evilness of man settled into the garden, and that's why the garden was bad, there's no original sin according to witches. And Lucifer had planned to come and live on this world along with his children, but he couldn't because of all the evilness of man. And when they say that, I almost feel like they want to write Christians sometimes, the, the way the doctrine goes. But Adam would come back to bring peace to the world and to unpollute it so his father could come back. Now that's their doctrine. When the sixth letter said, we have found Adam to be in the world and he is ready to make peace so that his father can return. I knew enough about revelations in the Christian Bible to say, hey, I'm in the wrong camp. And I asked a very stupid question at that moment. I said, isn't this in the Christian Bible? Which is teach that the Christian Bible is an absolute lie created by the God of evil named Jesus. Okay? So when I asked that, I almost got lynched. Sometimes more or less like the Christians like to do when I'm two hours late. I gotta get you to laugh somehow. So I said, Well, you know, I'm just kidding. Don't worry about it. I was just joking, trying to light things up. They calmed down. I left, did some more drugs. Now, I was doing about $150 a day worth of crystal speed at the time. I weighed about 149 pounds, and I, after looking at some of my rock friends, like David Crosby, that's doing $200 a day with the drugs now, I firmly believe that if the Lord hadn't saved me, I probably would have made it another year. At that time, from August the 1st on, for the next 30 days, I thought of nothing but how to get out. But even though I realized that the Christian Bible was telling the truth, it just never dawned on me because of the spirits inside me that if it was telling the truth in that, then salvation and Calvary were real also. So I went on trying to think of a dozen places I could go hide in this world and marking everyone off that they'd find me any place I'd go and deciding that since, you know, if I died, I'd just come back in another life and that wouldn't be too good if they were running the world, so what was I going to do? Finally, God, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to say that because I come from a world that Lucifer has been God too. Finally, the Lord Jesus Christ started moving for this. The best way I know how to put it. I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe that my salvation or anybody else's salvation was an accident. I believe in God incidents. I believe that God sets in motion the things to bring you about. You still have the choice. But many of you who don't know him tonight... The Lord brought you here, whether you know it or not. Much of you were probably brought here by praying friends and relatives. A man found his daughter, a pastor by the name of Smith, found his daughter, an initiated witch, shortly thereafter. Who had, He told me later, he said, I, I couldn't believe it. Here I was, I went to Baylor University, I was a minister in the Southern Baptist Church, and Baylor did everything, but hit me over the head that there was no devil and no witches and no demons in this day and age much like many fundamental Bible colleges I know today. He said, so I had to relearn all over again. Instead of taking man's idea, I took the word of God. I found that Deuteronomy 18, 18, 19, and 20 gave a list of witchcraft in the occult world. 
and that Acts 16, 16, 17, 18, and 19 gave the power over witchcraft, what its power was, and how it handled its power and the power over it, which is the taking authority over the devil and the demons that are in witches. That's how they get their power. The stronger the witch, the more demons that they have allowed in. When they take a young person and they train them for witchcraft, they give them what lovingly, I guess, called homework. They give them assignments that they're to do. And the assignments tear down every moral fiber and training that the person has. And just literally, they become a human chalice. They fill up with demons. As they do these things, they break down all the barriers holding the devil back. And when they're done, they have a very programmed, very brainwashed, and very powerful supernatural witch or wizard. So he prayed and he fasted. I heard Jack Howes the other day. I guess I never realized until I heard him how little Christians pray and fast. He's been around a long time and says he's only met a handful of praying and fasting Christians, and I can believe it anymore. But this minister prayed and he fasted. He said, God, let me cross Lance Collins' path. That was my occult name. He prayed and he prayed, and finally he felt this is the time, and he got up one morning, Saturday morning, two days before Labor Day in 1972, and he went downtown, and he started going through the occult stores. Now, I never in the occult, was never in the occult stores there much. And the one building that I lived in, there were two occult stores in that building, downtown San Antonio. One day, one of the managers that Saturday morning had had an overdose of drugs, was critical and couldn't make it in. And I had to go unlock the place for the sales girl to come in. And I just unlocked, got all the cash fixed up and everything, was getting ready to leave. Hadn't been there more than about five minutes. And his pastor came in. I knew it was a Baptist the moment he walked through the door. They carried a big black Bible. You have to be in southern Texas to understand. They don't go any place without a big black Thompson or something like that. You carry Schofields up here, they carry Thompsons down there. As one pastor says, I like a rapid-fire Bible. But he came in, and I remember telling him, Linda, the girl that was with me, oh boy, here comes trouble. He walked up and he said, I'm looking for Lance Collins, and kind of braced myself, and I said, I'm Lance Collins, can I help you? And he said, well, I want to tell you about the love of Jesus. I said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You take your Christian garbage and you go somewhere else. I mean, the word's very distinct. So he started preaching anyway. They figured he was there. He just dug his heels in and opened up. Well, I gave him about two sentences, and the spirits in me took over, and he started cussing. He just kept on preaching. So I started reciting chants. A demonic chance out to block what he was doing. Usually it got Christians scared and they ran off. He didn't touch. He stopped and he said, well, I see. Ephesians 6, 12. I'm not warring against Lance Collins. I'm warring against the demons inside him. So, since they want to talk to me, I ordered them to be silent in the name of Jesus. And he just started in a very powerful prayer, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ, and finally ending with this. He says, I order in the name of Jesus the devil to stop giving you any power of witchcraft and to stop giving you any of his benefits and took one look at me and saw that I was on drugs and said, and stop giving you drugs. Now parents, listen to me. If your kids are on drugs and you've got a problem, stop preaching to them. Just order the demon inside them and the devil to stop supplying them the drugs. You'd be surprised, we've done it, how fast the pushers and dealers they're getting their drugs from get busted all of a sudden. Try it. It works. 
And when he was done, he said, now I'm going to pray and fast for you, Lance, until you get saved. And I, I don't know why I said it. I, I just said, you're crazy. God, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. I remember I told dozens of witches, I'm going to pray and fast for you. Don't do that. One thing a demon does not like is prayer and fasting. He turned around. He walked off. One thing that had intrigued me, I, I kept trying to convince myself that I had shut up to listen to him because he was so weird. But what it was was simply he had taken authority over the demons, and I had shut up, and I had heard the whole thing. I went on upstairs, very shaken and not knowing why, very sick and not knowing why. I never felt like this in my life. I'd never come up against a Christian like this. Usually I said, I'm a witch, and they couldn't wait to find the nearest bomb shelter or crawl under the bed or get the straitjacket out. Well, something about my eyes back then, they never questioned when I said I was a witch. They just took off money. So I went upstairs, took out my drugs, my needle, did a fix. No problem. I had sent all the rest of my drugs out that night, the big shipments that we had stored around the area, to other states because we had a huge shipment coming in that night. I said, boy, this will teach that dumb preacher. I'm going to go over and drop off a, a kilo of it on his door just to teach him that the devil doesn't exist and I don't get my drugs from the devil. And he can't stop me from getting drugs. Besides, there's nothing wrong with drugs. I'm just literally dying eating away from them. There's nothing wrong with drugs. This is how the young people are today. Their friends are overdosing. I, I talked with people 14 and 15. I said, how many friends have you, do you lose every year? Oh, 10 and 20. They overdose on, on angel dust or something, killer weed, different things. But there's nothing wrong with drugs. I had asked one girl why she was so bummed out. She says, well, this is the fifth girlfriend that's ended up in the mental hospital not knowing who she is from taking acid and having a bad trip. I said, do you take it? She says, sure, but I don't have any bad trips. But there's nothing wrong with acid. When I got saved, I didn't have a friend that either wasn't in jail or wasn't dead. It'll do you something to you to walk into your friend's apartment and see him laying on the floor, needles still in their veins, and dead from an overdose, or from strychnine being added to the drug because they wanted him out of the way. I went on upstairs, as I said, I did the drug. Not to worry, more drugs coming in. Except midnight, my phone rang. I was still speeding. I, wasn't, I hardly ever slept, hardly ever ate. Answered the phone, I said, yeah, yeah, what's going on? Private number, I knew it had to be somebody that knew it. And they told me a story that I didn't like too well. We had paid off the Border Patrol. Everything was taken care of, standard run of drugs. Except that night, the ATF had heard that some illegal aliens were coming across the border. They called all the Border Patrol over, you know, from the regular stations, and had put on reserve units. And a guy that was so spaced out, he had sampled a little of pure speed. There was three huge cartons about this big, close to a million dollars worth of speed in the back of the car, just sitting on the back seat with the lid off where everybody could see it. He wasn't worried. Drove up to the thing and the guy wheels out a gun and says, you're under arrest. It was all over a matter of moments. I'm sure he never even realized what happened. It was all because a preacher took authority over the devil. When I got that call, come flooding back. You know, this guy's weird. You know, here he is stopping my drugs. And I said, no, no, that's just an accident. But it never had happened before. So I realized after, you know, calming down about the situation that I was going to be going through withdrawal pretty soon. So I made some local calls. Nobody had anything. Most people around there were on heroin and not speed. So I made some out-of-state calls and finally found in the state of Ohio some of the drugs that we had sent on had arrived. And they would get them down there. But it would be like Tuesday morning because of legal police actions they were having up there. But that's too long for somebody on drugs, as bad as I was. Sure enough, by Monday night, I almost didn't know who I was anymore. Bound and determined that I was going to get drugs no matter what.
had to be. I got a handgun, went in my car, started a car, started to drive out. I was going to go to every area around that I knew if I had to kill the person, I was going to get drugs. And wrecked a car trying to get out of the parking lot. Just got out of the car, left the gun, everything, just sitting there. Started walking down the street kind of in a daze, trying to get myself together and came upon a movie theater. Big bright lights attracted me. Just paid my money. Wasn't paying attention to the movie. Nothing went on in. Got about three rows back, right from the screen. Here was some idiot up there ray, waving a Bible all over the place and uh, flash bulbs going off. And it was a movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. And I got mad about this, what am I into now and stuff. I started getting intrigued with a character named Nicky Cruz. And I guess I probably got everybody in that theater mad at me because I kept yelling at Dave Walker. So stay away from preacher. Dumb Christian, leave him alone. He's just fine the way he is. All the way through the movie, cussing this guy out and telling him to leave Nicky Cruz alone. Finally, something very weird happened. Now, we knew that Christians talked about being born again. But then, born again was a phrase used by the Masons and a phrase used by the witches. It didn't mean anything. But we had been taught by the doctrine of astrology, which, by the way, it takes three things to practice witchcraft. Astrology, herbs, and jewelry, or talismans. So witchcraft uh, and astrology I learned from a very early child. One thing I'd been taught was I was born a set personality. The stars had decided what my personality was going to be like. And there was no way, no right in witchcraft, no nothing that would ever change my personality. If I was bad, I was bad. Besides, I consider myself too bad. I mean, I could have always been a Christian. That would have been terrible. So I sat there and I watched him, and he changed. He wasn't just as saying, I'm born again. He changed. Now listen to me tonight. If you've walked the aisle and you've given your heart to God, and there wasn't a complete turnaround, a complete change, and you went back to the way that you were five minutes before you walked that aisle, something is wrong. I'm not a Billy Graham that will have you say three words and say you're saved. It's in the fruit. And if there has not been a change in your life, something's wrong. And I got up and I walked out of that theater in utter confusion. Here was another thing that was in the Word of God that was happening. I walked on out. man walked up. About a dozen of us, I guess, were walking out of the theater at the one time. He walked up and he passed one track out. He gave it to me. He turned around. didn't say much. He just said, this is for you. Turned around and walked off. The track was called Bewitched. So I sat there and I read. I said, hmm, this guy's pretty smart. He says that bewitched was put on by the witches. Well, I knew that. My foster mother was one of the producers. I practically grew up on the sets. I sat there and I watched the rest of the track, Ouija board being run by demons. Well, we knew that. That's why witches didn't use Ouija boards. We let the Christians use it. So I read on, but the one thing I could not get over was this hell thing with the flames and the devil because witches don't believe in the devil. Satanists do, not witches. So I said, ah, oh, this guy's so right, but he's probably just a dumb Christian. Threw it in the water, walked on. Started going to go back to my apartment, got in the casino building, heard the music coming from one of our nightclubs there called the Club Aquarius, decided to go on over. Nobody there that I knew except the staff, so I went on back and locked the door to the manager's office, and I sat down. I said, i got to think this thing out. I'd like to talk to a Christian. I was talking to a man on the phone today, Jack Chick, and he was going over all the people that he had found and his investigations that were on the Illuminatus pay roll that were ministers, supposed to be fundamental ministers. And I said, yeah, I know, Jack. As I sat in that manager's office that night, he knew my testimony. I said, my biggest problem was I spent two hours 
trying to think of a pastor in the town that we did not have on our payoff. Well, there were pastors. That's why I didn't know them, because they weren't on our payoff. And finally, I remembered that just the night before, one of our witches, which was a prostitute in the area, in downtown San Antonio, had come in screaming in the club aquarius, and I wasn't in the mood to hear any screaming, particularly from her at the moment, going through withdrawal. But she was complaining that she was going bankrupt. And what the problem was, was her area was over by the Greyhound bus station, and she'd be over there prostituting, and some idiots from a Christian coffee house would come over and preach to the guys, and she would proposition them. I can really put you out of business. I mean, no serviceman's going to walk off with a prostitute with somebody telling them about hell at the same moment. So she decided we had to do something about the place, and I told her to get lost, but I remembered it. And I said, well, that's only eight blocks away. It's only two in the morning. Nobody'd be in bed at two in the morning, which is a nice people, you know. Took off walking on over there. The place had a reputation of its own. Just three months earlier, it had been a burlesque place, a show bar with strippers in it. Baptist preacher said, enough is enough. We don't need this down here. He goes in, jumps up on the bar stool, up on the bar, shoves two strippers in the middle of their act off the bar, and starts preaching. Fifteen minutes later, the two strippers have pulled the curtains down off the wall, wrapped them around them, kneeling down at the bar, giving their heart to the Lord. They're still Christians this day, by the way. I, I know them. The man and woman that owns the place is praying, giving their heart to the Lord. Three members of the four-piece man are two of the three bartenders, and about 15 of the customers. That's a quick revival. I like to have that quick. So I went on over there. Now, they had turned the time, the deeds to this place when they got saved. This is what I mean about a change in your life. They permitted the building out. They took the deed, and they gave it to one of the Baptist churches in the area and said, do what you want with it. Just turned it into a Christian coffee house. What better way? So I went over opened the door, and it was supposed to close at midnight according to sign, but the door was unlocked, so I went on in, and one guy was there, bent over the Coke fountain. You know, they trained, changed the booze over for Coke. That's what some Christians haven't done. And he was sitting there working on the Coke fountain, and I went in, and we started talking. And he started witnessing to me. Now, I have nothing against the four spiritual laws or any set plan like the Roman trail or anything like this. They, they're fine. They've won thousands of souls. But that particular plan didn't mean anything to me. I wasn't even interested in it, because for mainly I didn't believe totally the Word of God. And I wanted something that would deal with my immediate problems, and I wasn't hearing anything. Finally, he realized that he needed some help, so he called up his pastor. Now, as everybody knows, nobody calls their pastor at 3 in the morning, do they? No, just all the time. So he called him up, and the pastor says, well, we've been praying and fasting for this guy along with some other churches. We'll get right on it. I imagine he probably called up a bunch of people. And he come back and said, Now, Lord, this is out of my hands. The man's name was Claude Elmer. He said, This is out of my hands. I don't know the first thing about witchcraft. I don't know the first thing about the devil's kingdom. But you do. And he quoted Luke uh, chapter 10, where the Lord had saw the devil fall from heaven, and we had power over the devil. And he said, Now, you were there when it happened. You educate me right now. What scriptures do I give this man? And he said, I'd like to read you something. And he opened his Bible. To 2 Timothy 1.7. It is the best scripture in the world to witness to anybody in the occult. Because when you're in the occult, there's one thing that you do not have. You do not have a mind without fear. 24 hours a day. You live in a nightmare world and you try to convince yourself by brainwashing yourself that you're not unhappy. 
And he sat there and he said, God can remake your mind and take away the fear. And when he said, take away the fear, I said, let's get with this thing right now. And he started praying with me and he led me in a prayer of salvation. And I remember when I closed, I said, Lord, I want your forgiveness. I want to miss hell. I believe in it now. But I want you to take this fear out of my life. And I said, they're shaking. Scared to death. Somebody's going to walk through the door anytime and see me in this place and report me. I said, Lord, take the fear away. And when I got up out of there, I didn't have any fear. In fact, I walked back, went right on in my apartment, sat down, took a Bible with me. And when I went down the next day, I was reading the Bible, walking into the occult store. The fear was so far gone, I looked at myself killed. When God does it, he does it right. We've been trying to minister to people in the occult for a long time. We've really been spinning our wheels for five and a half years. We've gotten about 500 people saved. About 50 of them have been killed. When I was here last, we've been in prayer for two weeks about a new idea that we felt would work. And that was a retreat for the occult to go to. This Monday, on their New Year's Day, couldn't have been arranged better. We didn't do it on purpose, but it was perfect. While their grand druids were meeting, our rehab center opened. First candidate is already in it. Right now, coming from Maryland, is a girl that the second most powerful person that had ever left the Illuminati, Philip Rothschild's own girlfriend, teenage girlfriend, leaving left of the occult from the 11th richest family found out about the house going to be open before our plan to release the news through chip publication tracks and the phone numbers to go with it ever came out. They're not even off the press yet, and the occult world already knows and is calling hotline numbers that aren't even published yet. They somehow found the numbers. Another girl was saved two days ago. I don't even know who she is. I'm holding my breath because she knows me. Jack Chick got a call today. Said a girl walked into a Christian bookstore and says, I hear John Todd's still alive. The guy said, yes. He's been alive for five and a half years. And he said, yes, well, if he can be alive for five and a half years, I can be alive for five and a half years. I want to become a Christian and get out. Now, that is sweeping. That type of news is sweeping. You may not understand what that means. But if you were in East Berlin trying to get to West Berlin and there was a wall of death between you, you'd know what it means. If they tore that Berlin Wall down, you can imagine the East Berliners, how many would be flooding to West Berlin. Well, that wall of fear and death that the Illuminati has so strongly built up has just been shattered. We have done in the last month things on purpose that they have promised the occult world would never happen. Isaac Bonowitz, the Rothschild's own enforcer and one of those 13 top witches, lives in Frisco. He promised that the number one witchcraft city in the United States I would never preach in, San Francisco. We preached there two Sundays ago. He's got a lot of explaining to do. And the word is getting around. We need your prayers. There's a revival breaking open in the occult world now. They have gotten the word. There's a way out. I'm just going to have to start praying for three or four more buildings. Because if this car load gets here, we're not going to have much more room. we got a four-bedroom house. It can fill up pretty quick with a bunch of witches in it. So, by the way, we need your prayers just for that. You've never been in a situation until you have about 15 witches all around you at one time, all with different problems. My poor wife, she couldn't come with me tonight because she's setting up trying to get this one girl through it right now. So we do need your prayers. I want to thank the people who did take envelopes and send them. I think something like 500 envelopes were taken that night and we received them. But those 10 helped get that house open. And I want to thank the people who sent them. But I'm asking your prayers. 
We need your prayers. Uh, the pastor comes up, I want to say a couple words. You may not be in witchcraft. You may not think that this message has anything to do with you. But you're missing the whole point. I was in a world where it was impossible to become a Christian. And Jesus made me one. I was by one of the girls that I used to live with when I was in the occult world. Recently, she was in a very important witchcraft meeting that we happened to find out about. And I pulled into the parking lot for a few minutes to see who was there. And she walked by the car and had a couple Christian brothers with me. She looked in the car and just smiled and kept on walking. Never recognized me. That's the difference between the way I am now and the way I was then. When the Lord changes you, He totally changes you. Now, we give our testimony for several reasons. To show that no matter what, whether you were raised a Christian and you, you know, all your life, or you were raised in the worst frame of life, it's still the same miracle. God still saves you just the same. Sometimes I think it's harder to get the PKs and the Christian kids saved than it is the witches. But at the same time, we try to flag you down from going the same direction we went with drugs. You'll never know the feeling to lose so many friends that should be with you today and so many loved ones because of drugs that we kept convincing ourselves was all right. This isn't some preacher getting up here and telling you that's never been in it. I wished I had a half hour to talk about the worst thing that the occult world ever planned out and carried out. That's called rock music. But I'm going to say two quick things. Parents, the rock music does not belong to you. Your kids, if your kids are in your home, it belongs to you and your answer before it. And if you want to believe they're garbage, that it's all right, and you want to forget things like Kiss saying that their real name is Kings and Satanic Service, and that rock music is actually satanic spells being cast and being planned by the Satanist Church, and that's a direct quote, then you go right on ahead. Right now, the Manson, one of the Manson family girls is in trial, and she said the number one thing that the occult world used to brainwash them was Beatle music and rock music. If you want to leave it in your home, I won't go into details why you can't, but if you want to leave it in your home and all the demons that it attracts, fine. If you want your kids to buffalo you, that it's all right. But I recommend you go home today, get a cardboard box, and break the records, and burn those covers, and get it out of your home. And you'd be surprised at how fast your kids come around after they finish throwing their two-year-old tantrum. But I wish that I had the time more on rock music, but believe me, it is the work carefully planned out in the occult world. We spent $8 million to produce Jesus rock music and pay the man who started it named Chuck Smith just because Christians were destroying rock music and we were afraid that it would be banned from the Christian church. So we carefully put it in the form of Christian rock music. So if they would spend $8 million to keep rock music in your hands, then the hardcore rock must be even worse. And it is. I'm going to... Okay, Pastor. I don't mind. I drove all day so I could say these things. I, have a, I was the manager of Zodiac Productions, which Zodiac Productions' name's been changed since then. I'm not even sure what to call it now, but it's the largest music conglomerate in the world. It owns RCA Records, Columbia Records, Motown Records. owns almost all the concert booking agencies in the United States. And that's not even the, the name of the company that owns it. The name of the company that owns it is Brenner Enterprises. And Brenner Enterprises is owned by Chase Manhattan. Chase Manhattan's owned by Standard Oil, and Standard Oil's owned by the Lords of London. You can track it on back. You kind of get the idea after a while. But I was the managing president of Zodiac Productions. It was one of my jobs as being one of these 13 people. Thus, I got to know many of the people who produce music and sing the music and play the music that you play. Recently, 
one of the top people in rock music from the group. Um, can't think of the name of the group now. It's one of the top rock groups still in existence that's been around a long time. Was just saved. And he told how when they play in their concerts, they would control through witchcraft spells in their mind the people to do different things in the audience. And if they'd work the audience up not with the music, but with their mind and their music combination. Now, one of the closest friends that I got during that time that I obtained was a man named David Crosby. Crosby still nation young. I saw David the day before Christmas last year. I talked with him. I got him away from this witch that he had with him. He told her to go shopping. We were in West Hollywood, and I was witnessing around the people I knew. We went off in the store, and we started talking. I said, David, I'd like to ask you a couple questions. I said, I already know the answers, but I've been gone for five years. I'd like to know if certain things are still the way they were when I left. I said, do they, now I'll have to explain some of this when I'm done. You're not going to understand it all unless you know something about music. I said, do they still take the master to the temple room? Dave said, yeah. I said, do they still have the colon conjure demons into the master? He said, of course. I said, now, i got to know something. What's the main reason for rock music? He said, come on, Lance, you know what the reason is. I said, please, David, I don't want to guess. Tell me what the main reason is. He said, the same as when you were in, so that we can place spells on people that we couldn't cast spells upon. I'll explain what that means in a minute. I said, okay, one last thing. I've been hearing that you must be an initiated witch now to get a record contract. He said, that's right. He said, many of us that weren't total witches have to be witches now in order to produce music. Thank you. The master is a tape about as big as the top of this podium that looks like an overgrown eight track that the album is cut on and it's placed in a machine that produces and presses the records and the eight tracks and cassettes that you buy. After it's been recorded, it's taken in. This is why a master's cut months in advance before it's released. On the full moon, it's taken in to a temple room about the size of this auditorium that is in every one of the major music companies behind locked doors up in the executive offices. And it's placed on an altar setting in the north of the room and a pentagram engraved in the floor. And 13 hand-chosen witches and wiz wizards and coven come in and conjure a principality or a power up, usually Regia or something like that, and order him to tell the demon under him to follow every record and every tape coming off of that master. As I tell many Christian parents, you can go home and count your kids' records, probably yours too, and count how many demons at least are there. If that's too hard for you to believe, I'm sorry. That's why they do it. Now listen to me. This is why rock music's addicting. Have you ever seen kids that got rid of their music, they go around like this, they can't wait to find a rock station somewhere and they sneak off just like a cigarette or a fix because it's addicting. That's why they can't give it up. The rest of the conversation was this. You can't cast a spell on a Christian, but you can get a Christian to cast a spell on themselves. If you give the permission for the spell to work, being a Christian won't block it. And rock music is not just a song. It is supernatural music that which is carefully designed by their spirit guides or familiar spirits in the form of spells. Now, although the devil's music's par is the music and God's music is the words, much of the songs are written in what we call witch language. Give you kind of an idea. You talk, on, many of you talk on a CB, unless you know what, you, what a smoky is, and uh, a 10-4, and uh, uh, a front door and back door and rocking chair and these type of things, you don't know what you're talking about. Same with witches. When you're in the first or second level, you have to learn over 2,000 words that said by anybody else means something totally different than when you say them. Elton John has said he's never written a song or sung a song 
that wasn't in which language. And I want to show you something. How many kids in here will be honest and adults? How many remember and have heard at least several times a song called Hotel California? Somebody tell me what it meant. Quickly, somebody tell me what it meant. Huh? That's pretty close. But from the words, what did it mean? Well, that's more of a guess. See, most people can't tell you. That's why when people do drugs and they listen to songs in which language, they get some of the meaning. But most of the time, they can't tell you. Stop and think how many songs are out there that you really like and you don't have any idea what the person was talking about. Beyond a Yellow Brick Road? How about The Destroyer by Kiss? Can anybody tell me what it's about? Kiss said in it, kids, tell your parents. They're talking about Helder Skelter. Beatles sung Helder Skelter in which language nobody knew what it meant. Manson did because he belonged to the process. Helder Skelter is a several thousand year old word. And they're believing that it's going to happen in a year from now, from this very date. Most of the music is either about Helder Skelter or a place called the Night Winds, which is what Hotel California is about, and different doctrines of witchcraft. You listen to them, your parents let you listen to them, and they have no idea. Kids openly bragged how they were gaining control of people through their music because the people played their music. They told how they didn't form their own group. Their church, because they were ordained ministers of the Satanist church, placed them together. And that's how most of the music is done. David Crosby, when him and Crosby still nice and young, produced the record Two-Way Street. They ordered the Principality of Medes to order demons of rebellion to go into the record, and everybody that heard it would be rebellious against law and order and government. And it was one of the reasons for the great upheaval in the 60s was that one album, and they take open credit for it. I can go on all night, but that's mainly it. Parents, get this stuff in and destroy it now. I guarantee you, your kids will straighten up. They may pout for a while, but they'll straighten up. <laughs> okay. Sorry it's so late. All right. We've had live action here. We're a bunch of nine owls now. This ain't nothing. Uh, <clears throat> how many of you believe he knows what he's talking about when he talks about rock music? Huh? Not enough of the kids, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Well, I sincerely believe he knows exactly what he's talking about there. Um, and I hope you'll listen to him. I hope you'll hear where he's coming from. And if you continue listening to that junk, where you're going, we just cannot tolerate it as Christian people in our homes. You can't stop it from being played and sold all that, but we can't tolerate it. Uh, you mentioned time or two the Illuminati. Could you, in just a few words, summarize what you understand the Illuminati is? Okay. Many people call it the Great Conspiracy, which is kind of true, but actually the Illuminati is about a thousand conspiracies all running at one time. Therefore, a lot of them backfire. But it was formed about 100 years before its original birth date. The birth date is May 1st, 1776, which is always start everything on May 1st. That's why even the communist birthday is on May 1st. That's their New Year's Day. But it means the holders of the light or the light bearers. Now, witches have another name for it, too. Since it is a death penalty to use the name the Illuminati, you must say Mariah, which means the conquering, destroying wind. But its belief is that Lucifer is God and that everything else is imposter and that Lucifer can bring peace to the world by his lifters or upholders to conspiracy. And they're going to conspire and conspire and conspire until they have a world government. Sometimes I wonder why they could be so dumb that they're doing exactly what is going to lead to their destruction. But then that's usually how the devil is. He keeps everything in darkness. But that's the Illuminati. It's a world conspiracy 
and I might add, an extremely powerful one. The occult is its religion. Now, many of you are doctors, lawyers, mechanics, construction workers, businessmen, whatever. Most of you are Christians and Baptists, okay? But he's your minister, or at least if you're from his church. And the Illuminati, they all have jobs. But the witches are their ministers. But they're all Luciferians. The witches are the ministers, and they're the church members, and the religion is Luciferianism. Now, the real Illuminati, the organization itself, is financially powerful and politically motivated. Through their finance, they have an old witch's room, which is kind of a saying, a poem. They say, let the kings be kings, let the bankers be bankers, and let the priests be priests. Translated, it simply means that it doesn't matter who rules, as long as the bankers have the money, they'll own the person who rules. And the priest will run the bankers. That's the Illuminati. You mentioned John, uh, some publication, you said might be on about three months. What, what is that again? It's called Riot and Revolution. It's by Tom Berry, a classmate of my pastor, Owen Rasmussen, graduate from Bob Jones, a doctor in divinity. And it, it takes the plan of the Illuminati for Helter Skelter and gaining control of the world. It takes some of my testimony to justify it. And then it gives an answer to Christians what to do during Helter Skelter. Uh, where did the material come from and how did you get it? Some of it came from me and some of it came from another minister named Joe Boyd. Some of it came from Jack Howe. He's gathered. Also, he had about 20 pages of notes when I met him, which he said he gained by going through about 2,000 books. They were on the Illuminati and the Bilderbergers. Okay? Yeah. Satan worshippers believe in Satan, uh, which is the lower three levels believe in God or else God's self in ESP and so on. They believe in plural gods like the mother goddess Isis and so on. Or the higher levels are Luciferians, which believe in one god and the minor gods being in the Rothschild. Okay? That's the difference. You mean the average uh, witch is not taught that there is such a being as Lucifer or oh, the no. devil? Uh -uh. Well, for one, when you believe in Lucifer, you don't believe it's the devil. Okay? Uh, no. They believe in the mother goddess, which is called by many names as the palm without her gold. Diana, Isis, Asherah, which was the female side of Baal. And they believe, actually, it's Baal worship. There was a male and female god. Asherah, and, uh, and then the horned hunter of the night is the way he's portrayed in all countries, which is more like kind of the underworld god, the devil, or whatever. All right. Anybody with a question or two before we... We're going to take a level from here. There's no difference. What was his question? The difference between rock music and soul music. There's no difference. Okay. All right, some other questions in the back. They didn't come up with it. That, that was about a hurricane that somebody named Mariah, okay? Yes. Yes. In the Satanist church, Christ and Jesus are the same person, okay? No, that's the teaching. In a Satanist church, Christ, Jesus Christ, and Satan are the same person. That's the Satanist belief. And the Luciferians, they believe that Jesus Christ is the God of evil, okay? Like we would feel about the devil, they feel about Jesus. And Lucifer, they feel toward him like we feel about Jesus. That's what they teach, okay? Oh, they... I don't know what he said, but it must have been good. Well, a pastor didn't lead me. A Christian worker led me to the Lord. Uh, the person that helped rehabilitate me was Jack Taylor. But he wasn't around much because he, he was a pastor. He had to run around the country speaking. It was actually his music director and the youth director. Ann Rowitz was the youth director, and the music director was Malcolm Granger. 
I stayed with Malcolm, and him and his wife worked with me, and the music, I mean, the youth director worked with me quite a bit. But I don't envy him. I sit back now, and I guess I kind of block my mind out how bad I was. But watching all these kids go through rotation, man, that was no easy job. They had to be on their knees a lot, I'll tell you. Black Sabbath. Come up, music group or a Black Sabbath? Well, the music group got its name from it. A Black Sabbath is a witch's Sabbath, okay? It comes eight times a year. Beltane, if I can get the first part, Bell, Beltane is our New Year's Day. That was May 1st, okay? Halloween is Shaham. That was also one of theirs. There's eight of them, okay? And they come around the year, and it's more or less their big party day. They're super, super day. Now, if they're in the human sacrifice, they also do human sacrifice at the time. But it's a big time to have an orgy and a big drug party and this type of thing that everybody wiped out. That's the witch's Sabbath. Don? Well, not the Satanist church, but the witchcraft church is. Uh, a very, very powerful witch has a song out about witchcraft now called The Force. His name is Tom C. Hall. Uh, I just heard a very sick song recently. Somebody let me hear. It was by Tammy Lynette. And we're talking about Jesus Christ appearing on um, Midnight Special or something like Saturday Night something. Anyway, I'm afraid that if he appeared on that rock show, he'd probably bring the Cat of Nine Tails along with him. But um, there, some of the music, if it wasn't for witchcraft being behind rock music, I hate the country the most. Because I don't see how Christians can listen to it when it's talking about adultery, fornication, getting drunk, cutting people up, running around with everybody else's wife, and things like this. And that's all I ever hear on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they were referring to. Yeah, they did. No, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. I believe uh, Vic named Russ. Human sacrifice? Uh, that's pretty... The occasion. Oh, well, the occasion was on a Sabbath, okay? That particular Sabbath happened to be uh, February the 2nd, Candleman, okay? Uh, what about... What was the rest of it? Well, it's done... That's particular one was done because of an initiation ceremony that was being done. Mine. But most of the COVID's just practice eight times a year if they're in the blood sacrifice. Uh, like, uh, see, the lower witches believe that the power for witchcraft comes from orgies and sex. The higher witches believe it's attained by human blood. Okay? Ross, I believe you had your hand. It's a revolution that they have planned within the United States. Most people feel that something like that will never happen in the United States. They're lying to themselves. It will happen, and it's not very far off. Well, by 1980, there'll be... is only an excuse, okay? The excuse is to be able to declare martial law. That's the whole reason for it. They promised the one side that they will be able to gain control of the United States through revolution, when the whole time is they're just simply setting them up to be able to declare martial law and suspend the Constitution. And by 1980, they plan on being under martial law. I'm not saying, don't all of you start lunching me at one time, I didn't say it was... And I said, this is their plan, okay? I'll leave it up to your own prayer life and watching the newspapers whether it's going to happen or not. Maxine. Just like most other cults, the, the, Jesus Christ requires just one way, only one way. The devil will use any way to keep your eyes off that one way, okay? And he uses the same tactics wherever it branches to. I have no idea if you, they, he came out after I got out. I have no idea. They were back in groups like him before, the Krishners and so on. I can't see much difference between them and those two groups. So they probably back him too. Okay, Mike and Bob. Yeah, the Council of Foreign Relations. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's inner brainchild that runs this. It's called the Trilateral Commission. Okay. Assembly, Bob, 
We have Barbara. Yeah, the seven principalities, about uh, 200 powers. Then it starts getting down into lower people we never pay attention to, lower spirits. Barbara? Yeah, um, I won't go to all just recently, about three weeks ago in April. The day before Jack Howe came to our church to speak, and the day after he left, I came, uh, both times I came walking out of the church at Faith Baptist. One time I got in my car, started to drive off in the parking lot, about 30 people were standing around, and a passing car opened up on us with a gun. And then, that was Sunday night, and then Wednesday night of that week, I was walking out into the parking lot prior to the church letting out with a couple of brothers, and when we dug the bullets out of where they hit, they had fired twice at us, and the bullets were 44 caliber, 44 magnets. So they don't play around. And the range was so close, it was from the back of that wall to here. You know that the Lord is in it. It really makes you appreciate his divine protection, let me tell you. Bruce? That world takeover plan ended with World War III. But one of the teachings is that when Lucifer sets up his kingdom, okay, that through World War III, most of the civilized world as it exists now will be in rubble. And the one protected capital that they have purposely kept all missiles away from, from both sides, is Jerusalem. And they plan on using Jerusalem to set up from there, okay? Do they believe that Adam's original home, or the Garden of Eden, rests where Jerusalem is? So, that's going to rule from there. Uh, Mike and then Robert, Maybe. <laughs> Very quick. Um, the church that I attend, and remember I was Faith Baptist in Canoga Park, Dr. Rasmussen, uh, the work where it's at, the house, has got to remain a sound. Okay? Very well. All of our church walk around, people trying to find out where it's at, and everybody, shh. It's like the unspeakable secret. Okay? Everybody knows, but nobody says. He was a member of the Process Church of the Final Judgment, which in California is called Universal Trump. Church Triumphant Summit International. They always like big names. Okay. okay, let's see. Randy? Not anymore. I try to keep out of communication as much as possible with them. Um, my foster mother has a huge contract on my life, and my brother's trying to collect it, so I try to stay away from them. By the way, Randy, you cannot communicate with them. You're communicating with demons. They irritate them. They cannot speak to you. Let's see. Uh, yes, brother. All I could... I mean, counting all the Sabbaths, they last year, from May, May 1st to May 1st, probably 500, and that's only a guess. I'm probably way under. William has uh, one of his books, Chick Publication, I believe it is, and in the, it's made up like a comic book. It tells you, here it is, Broken Crop. That's the one I wrote. This is the one that tells you one of their main methods of how they get victims to offer up in blood sacrifice. All right, Robin, I think we better let this be in. Okay, give me about a minute on this here. Okay, you heard at a Christian school. What one? Oh, I'm talking about. You heard that C.S. Lewis was a Christian, right? Okay. First of all, Christian Accelerated School has what I'm about to tell you. Have investigated what I said. Christian Accelerated Education, and because of it, are now ordering all their schools to ban Lewis's work. They checked into it very carefully. So did my pastor, because he was getting hit very hard with it. He found everything I said to be true. When a witch ready to be initiated, she must not just read, but she must study the complete work of Lewis, fictional work. Lewis has said that the way to God, like a hallway with many doors, they all lead to it. Okay? Now, the fictional works of Lewis are very real to witches. They're not fictional. They're history to witches. They really believe them. Okay? They believe their guidelines. Now, 
Lewis was a member of the Golden Dawn. Now, that's been proven. Along with a fellow brother of the same Copeland named Token, who wrote The Hobbit. They were in the same time. Now, the Golden Dawn is the private church that the Rothschilds must pick every member of that church personally. It's in London. The oldest Copeland in the world. Okay? That's Lewis. Whether he says he's a Christian or not, that doesn't mean anything. That's where Christians are making their terrible mistakes. Could it be that he was like that, and like yourself, he got converted, and now he's no longer that? He would have had to tell it. But Lewis' name was on the Golden Dawn records right up to the time that I got out. I mean, there's no betrayal there. He never did leave them. Okay? I want to tell you something real quick that will answer this. Many people supposedly are getting saved from the Manson family and from other things. Let me tell you something real quick so you, there will be no misunderstanding. You come out of the occult. You come out of the Masons, you come out of anything in the Illuminati, it's one distinct thing. Anywhere there's a vow of secrecy, that vow of secrecy must be broken. Not in part, complete. When somebody breaks their complete vow of secrecy, they're out. But until they do, they're not out. Okay? Charlie, this is it. That's right. Isn't it double one? Which is language? That's exactly right. <laughs> Did you hear his question? How do Masons relate to all of this? Okay. Listen closely, you Masons. Council 13 is the highest council in the Illuminati. The council right below it is the Council 33. That's called the Grand Masters. There are the 33 highest Masons in the world. To be a member of the Council 33, you must take a human life in a ceremony to prove your worthiness. We have in our hands copies, and Chick Publications is releasing this in their new book, Angel of Life. Copies of a 32nd, 33rd level book which proclaims Jesus Christ, the God of brutality and sin and evil, and Lucifer, the God of love, beauty, and peace, and the true God. Yeah, a little shocking, huh? Different from the way it's portrayed. But don't be mad at the lower masons. It also says in the same book that the lower masons are sheep to be sheared. Now, many masons are getting saved through our message, lower and higher, because they recognize when I, and I didn't tonight, gave my initiation to become a witch, and my vow of secrecy is the same as theirs, all the way through, the same, no difference. Now, Masons were started by the Illuminati. It's all through our history that they're tied with the Illuminati. Their rights are witchcraft rights when witchcraft had to go underground. We've had people come in and tear up their membership cards and get right with the Lord, mainly because, if you didn't know this, Charles Finney was a Mason, and when he got saved, he said, I can't be a Mason and be a Christian. It is impossible because the vows I must take are non-Christian vows, okay? People are getting saved right and left, and they'll have one thing to say. When they leave the Masons, the reason they didn't leave before is they were afraid of what the Masons would do to them. Now, if it is a good group, why are people afraid to leave them? And that's it for the evening. I should be back on in a couple more days. I'm going to get into some more things here. Um, another man that is, he was first-hand experience into witchcraft. Um, I'm going to be doing parts on him as well next episode. So, um, and then I've got more people coming on to to interview. So hope you guys enjoyed this and really give this stuff some thought. Okay, guys. It's important. The Lord wants this stuff out there. I know he does. You guys have a wonderful evening. God bless you all. Stay safe. Say your prayers. And I will be talking to you soon. Take care.